Welcome to Vandehuis and the Out on a Limb podcast. Today, as promised, we are talking about pollination. Now, what is pollination? It's simply a fancy word for a way that plants will spread and combine an egg and a sperm or an egg and pollen, as many of us uh, uh, see it floating around this time of year. Pollination, however, is important to almost everything that we do when it comes to food and the life that we are used to. For example, without pollinators, there'd be no apples, there'd be no cherries. Without pollinators, many of the fruits and vegetables that we like simply would not be available, or it would have to be up to man to make that cross between the male and the female plants. Now, Mother Nature, though, has made this uh, quite easy. And by proper choosing of plants, many of the plants you see around me right now, you can have your own pollinator garden to help in the survival of pollinators. As we all know, over the last year, bees have been in decline, and we really do need to help in expanding uh, our plantings and our designs to help pollinators survive. Let's just look at a couple of specific things here that I have around me right now. This is a trumpet honeysuckle. It is a vining plant blooms uh, usually towards late June and into July. And what attracts this for many pollinators are these long tubular flowers. They're beautiful for us to see as well, but pollinators such as hummingbirds and butterflies look for plants with these long tubes so that they can stick their tongues uh, into them and bring out the nectar. There are other plants that simply are known as great plants for bugs and insects. This white one in front of me here is called a butterfly bush, and you bet it brings butterflies into the yard. Then we have something next to me here by the name of bee balm, and this is a very specific attractant to bees. Now you do have to remember in a design when you're trying to bring bees into a landscape that if you have people who are highly allergic to bees, this may not be the right plant for you. But simply by choosing plants, whether they're native or not, you can attract various materials into the landscape. Now, this is a cultivated bee balm, so it looks extremely pretty, works well in your landscape, but you can also use native forms of plants, such as this native bee balm or this native columbine that would uh, fit a natural garden more, but also bring pollinators in. So set a goal for yourself to choose various plants that you see in front of me and create a pollinator garden or add a few plants that you can bring our pollinators into your area. Okay, Tom, we've had some questions from our friends in Northeast Wisconsin and our customers. I'd like to throw those at you and see if uh, we can help us out with some information on that. Uh, when we're talking about uh, pollinators and, and gardens for pollinators, uh, what type of light requirements are we looking for? Well, in most cases, the plants that we're talking about uh, today especially love full sun. 
So in general, you want to find a space that gets four to six hours of direct sun for your garden. But we're also standing in an area here of plants that can do with a little bit less, maybe four hours of sun. So it's not going to be heavy shade, but you're going to need some amount of light, let's say between four and six hours. So you can add a pollinator garden to just about any portion of your landscape. Oh, absolutely. This could be a small area that's tucked in among shrubs, could be added to your vegetable garden, could be part of your flower garden. And if you're struggling with where to put it, companies like us, Vandehuis, offers design services that we can uh, help you find the best location. Bring in some pictures of your yard and we'll find the best place for your pollinator garden. It's true. Now, uh, we're also into July now, so uh, do we have to worry about timing and when we plant these? Spring is always best, but as long as you are talking about plants that are already in the pot, or above ground as shrubs would be here in the nursery, they can be planted any time of year. You just have to remember to keep them watered. So given the fact that we're in the middle of summer, you don't plant your pollinator garden and take a two-week cruise. You help take care of it. And if you are busy through the summer, you can plant right up into November. And like Tom said, if you have any questions, give us a call or stop in and see us. Now we're gonna step into the studio and talk a little bit more about pollinators and pollinator gardens. Thanks for joining us again. Welcome to the Out on a Limb podcast. My name is Todd Trueblood. With me today is Tom Jensen, an industry expert in the landscape world. And we're going to talk a little bit about pollination, pollinators, and, pollin and the plants that they love. That's correct. Okay, so Tom, tell me what pollination means to you. Pollination is, is simply a process that brings the egg and sperm of various plants together so that they can produce a new generation. That could be by producing the plant itself. It could be by producing a seed. It could be by producing something we're used to eating, like an apple, uh, which helps hold the seed and then ultimately allows it to uh, grow into a new tree. Sure, and, and why is that all, all that important? Well, with all the things we just talked about, there would be no apples, for example, if we didn't have pollination, we wouldn't have that food source. Uh, same goes for other crops. You need pollination to have corn on the cobs so that the corn is produced. So we're talking just about uh, anything that affects us when it comes to food comes from pollination. I mean, there are ways now that there are ways to produce fruit without pollination, but we're talking with man's interference. If you're talking naturally, there has to be something allowing egg and sperm to come together to make it work. Same for our shade trees, same for the plants you're putting out in your landscape, same for your grass, all the things you see outside your window. If we wouldn't have that pollination happening, it wouldn't be there. Yeah, I think it's important to every being on earth, uh, not only the creating habitat for those, our pollinator friends, the bees and the butterflies and our little guys like that, but also, like you said, creating a food source for humans, uh, shade source to keep your house cool through the summer and warm through the winter or whatever uh, your landscape is doing for you. It's very important to all of us. Uh, from well, it is, and we have forgotten about that because, you know, ask somebody where an apple comes from, a little kid, he says, from the store. Right. Yep. They have no concept of what is happening before the product reaches their table. They don't even think about it. And with the way the environment is changing or we treat the environment, we're putting many of these pollinators or the process of pollination 
at risk nowadays. I took steps uh, recently to change that too. I, I, I've learned all of that from my grandfather. This is where an apple comes from. This is where a raspberry comes from. Uh, and I had kind of neglected that for quite a while. You get busy, things happen, kids are in high school and soccer and all that good stuff. Um, so I started thinking about my grandkids coming along, and so I've planted an apple tree, I've planted a serviceberry, I've got some raspberries, looking at some blueberries that uh, my, I don't like them as much as my wife does, but uh, all that is important and all that is going to need our friends that are the pollinators. Absolutely. So what do we do for those pollinators? Well, th there's many different ways of looking at it. First thing, you need to know what is pollinating the plants that you are talking about. You kind of alluded to the little critters going along the ground that can do it, but pollination can happen by wind. Mm -hmm. uh, corn is wind pollinated, so we don't need insects to, to technically get a, a, an ear of corn. But we have then things like apples, which are pollinated specifically by bees. So if we did not have bees in that area, there would be no apples that year. There are plants that are pollinated by bats, not in our area, but certainly in the tropical rainforest. Sure, yep. uh, there are plants that are pollinated by flies. There are plants actually that man still pollinates to make better and better fruits. So there are set insects, people, conditions that have to be met. So if you're trying to help this pollination happen, you have to provide those requirements or make sure nothing is happening to them. Right, and, and one of the things that we do uh, quite a bit is plant plants that pollinators love. Uh, we shoot for that anyway, and that goes back to my uh, uh, preference, I guess, for native plants. Uh, there's a lot of native plants that uh, pollinators, butterflies, bees, especially hummingbirds, uh, they love a lot of our native plants. Um, so we provide a habitat for those those beings, the butterflies and the bees, to spend time in and uh, feed on. Uh, what else do they need besides well, the habitat? It, there, there's things on the outside world. Um, and I'm going to use bees because everybody sees them. But bees are very sensitive to pesticides. Now, so you might be spraying a tree or a shrub next door to an, uh, an orchard, let's say. And in the process of what you're doing through your pesticide application, you're actually killing the bees that are coming to the tree. Right. Yep. It's one of the reasons specific to an apple is that there's a rule there that you just stop spraying your trees while the tree is in blossom. And you don't put any chemical near it until the blossoms have dropped. Right. That's because the bees are there. So you could be doing it yourself by spraying an orchard spray, which is a mix of different chemicals, trying to help the tree out, but you've just killed the bees. Right. Um, butterflies are big pollinators, and they need plants uh, just with the way they take in food, the butterfly itself, that are long trumpet-shaped flowers, mm -hmm. um, lantanas, uh, garden salvias, just to, to list a few, are plants that they're looking for. So if, again, you don't have the right plant for a butterfly to draw nectar from, you're not going to have the butterflies. Um, also, butterflies have a very unique uh, life cycle where they, go have, they have larvae, they have caterpillars. And the monarch butterfly, for example, is very specific in that that uh, caterpillar lives on the foliage of milkweed, 
Now, nobody wants milkweed in their yard. Who, nope. you know, that that's your native plant. That's your weed issue. Yep. But without milkweed for that caterpillar to eat, they won't go into a cocoon, and there won't be another history of uh, butterflies. Yep. So you also have to, if you talk about a butterfly garden, you're going to be planting things that may not be pretty, and you are planting things that are going to be eaten, and that goes against everything we do with gardening nowadays we don't want a bug we don't want a speck on our leaves well you're going to have chomped leaves and you're going to have other things happening to get those butterflies there's more and more things like that too that are that are probably a little uh away from what we're used to doing uh we're used to planting things and and hopefully nothing eats them they're in good shape all the time they they look great uh butterfly gardening being one of those we want to plant some things that the the larva is going to chomp on right we also need to set up some sort of a water source at that point so sure. that the butterfly and the larva have access to that as well uh, and, and some uh, protection. It's not a bad idea to have a, uh, an evergreen tree near your exactly. butterfly garden so that the, the butterflies have some space to uh, get away from predators and get away from the sun, things like that. Well, and with butterflies, it's not a bird bath. They like right. little nope. puddles of water. Things wet sand. Wet, wet sand. Yep. Um, <clears throat> a bubbling water over a rock where mm-hmm. water gets into the crevices. So, yeah, you're, you're thinking out of the box all the way through to their particular life cycle. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to do. It's a little, out, little different from a lot of gardening uh, tactics, but uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to do because it adds something that you don't see very often. Uh, we've had... Uh, really nice luck over the last two years to have a pretty good um, uh, I don't know a pretty good troop of uh, of honey or uh, hummingbirds that yes. have come into our yard uh, and it's so cool and when the, the when the kids are around and the hummingbird is just kind of flittering around their heads and it, it's something you just don't see every day well and it's a way to get kids involved right you know and again the, you're right even this year the hummingbirds are all over I mean they're already in our yard right but hummingbirds, just to go back to something I said before, feed just like butterflies. First of all, red is what they see, mm-hmm. but you also have to remember that they see red and they see infrared and ultraviolet. So what we see as red may not be red to, uh, uh, to a, a hummingbird. And they like the long tubular flowers once again. Yep. So even if you're in an apartment building, and I had mentioned lantana before as a plant, uh, they are a huge attractant to butterflies. Instead of putting uh, a geranium sure, out yep. as a hanging basket, you could buy something like lantana, and now you have put something out that is a, a well-known source of food for butterflies and also for hummingbirds. Great segue. It's like we planned it. So let's talk more about plants that, sure. are, that we can plant for our pollinator friends and uh, and. What types of plants do you think? Uh, what's your favorite? Well, what's your uh, favorite for, pollinator plant? I I don't look at natives. I'm afraid because of that. Uh, it's, that's one of where we differ. You're always on the native side yeah. of the coin, and I tend to be more on the cultivated side of the coin. Um, I'm just going to mention butterflies with it and tell a little story. But um, liatris yep. is just a, a gay feather or many different names. Uh, is just fabulous and I was going through on a tour at Prairie Nursery down in the Madison area I think it is or Westfield area and they had a 30 40 foot row of liatris in full bloom and there may have been 200 butterflies there right it's that much of an attractant 
and you would walk up to it and literally they would just flutter away and then come right back in. Uh, there are plants that I like that are named specifically for drawing plants in, such as bee balm or yep. Monarda. Uh, sedums are, and it's more like the autumn joy, bring in uh, bees like crazy. But I've got to say, if you're talking about this, if you're, you don't want these plants if there's a bee allergy in your family. True, correct. You may be helping out the pollinators, but what, don't put your family or someone at risk with having them close to the patio. Right. So what is yours? Well, uh, it's going to be native. It I is know. going to be native. But what you said there, Laetris and uh, what was the other one? Butterfly. Uh, uh, Monarda. Monarda. Both native. Yes. Native to Wisconsin. Hardy plants. Might be a different uh, cultivated variety, mm -hmm. but uh, Blazing Star, um, uh, in, in Monarda, the bee balms. Uh, lavender, yep. because of the flower shape, once again will do it. Um, I've mentioned it a number of times here, but Lantana as a seasonal plant that you're bringing in. Yep. Uh, maybe one of the best is annual salvia. Yep. Uh, again, it just attracts, in this case, butterflies and hummingbirds uh, from everywhere. I like uh, butterfly weed, Asclepius. Yep. Uh, That's also a food source. They yep. also eat and, the, the, the leaves. Yep, and uh, probably one of the best orange flowers, period. Exactly. Uh, it's it's Native to Wisconsin, it's tougher sure. than heck. Uh, and you can always, if you don't have plants, there are hummingbird feeders, going back to that. Um, the other day in my yard, I saw an oriole even feeding from a hummingbird feeder, and butterflies will feed from it as well. So again, that range of um, materials is great. For, for bees, which are one of our biggest pollinator, uh, you simply need flowers. They're going to come around and be searching, and they get their pattern, and they'll come back day after day after day. Uh, that's why, as we talked about with the apple tree, spraying is, you got to be careful. Yeah. Spray early in the morning, spray late at night, partially because the insects have bedded down for the night, and they're not out and about feeding. You know, going out at 2 in the afternoon and dosing something with an insecticide is right at peak feeding time for many of the pollinators. There's different reasons uh, for uh, pollinators to be attracted to a space. Mm -hmm. Some of them like the color, some of them like the fragrance, some of them like the texture, or the, the, the cover, or whatever it might be. Um, so I think a, a, a nice uh, blended uh, garden, whether it's a hummingbird garden or a, a butterfly garden or whatever it might be, with a number of different plants uh, gives the gives you options as to what uh, pollinators are going to be attracting. Oh, certainly, and everybody thinks this is going to look like a meadow next door. Right. This can be done in a way that is just as formal as sure. an English perennial border right. or the American mixed border where right. we have trees, shrubs, and annuals all together in, in the same place. Uh, it doesn't have to have a negative connotation from a design aspect. Right. It's uh, it's definitely something. I, I used to have it. The, the place I lived previously had a great uh, uh, cluster of cardinal flower, mm -hmm. uh, which is a bright red, nice color. Lobelia, but even though most people think of lobelia as purple, yep. this is a bright red uh, flower and it, it, it a cluster of those and cultivated to look like a clump, uh, but... Uh, it was still part of a, an attraction for pollinators. So sure. you can do some really nice things. You might have to work a little harder. You might have to think a little more, but you can do some really nice things with and, native And it plants. really should be planned out. 
Sure. Um, you mentioned cardinal flower likes a, a wet soil. It, right. It's not going to live in a heavy, dry soil. It likes it moist. Right. So if you have to know that and mm -hmm. put them in that situation. Milkweed, again, uh, even though it's not thought of as a yard plant, um, is a key one for so many of the pollinators. So where is that going to work specifically? Um, draw it out. Get help from uh, someone. Uh, stop in at Vandehuis and say, hey, I'm trying to design this. Talk with our perennial expert, especially mm -hmm. Bev, yep. and I, I'm sure she, you know, she can in a few minutes at least give you four or five plants that would work in that area and give you a chance to uh, at least begin bringing these, uh, material, uh, these bugs and other things in. I haven't told you yet, but we're going to enlist you to help us with a, a seminar we're doing with uh, the do-it-yourself design a seminar where we can design up a, a perennial garden for people. We'll be doing that in July. I'll be out of town. <laughs> you, well, I, I have control of your calendar, so I'll <laughs> take a look at that. So thanks for coming, Tom. Anytime. It's, it's always been a great pleasure. Talking about, always great talking about plants. Always great talking about our bees and butterfly friends. I was nervous about this one. I had butterflies in my stomach. Oh, man. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>